Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome in. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. If you're a newcomer with us, so glad that you are here today. Uh, if you're here in the Preston campus, I'd love the opportunity to connect with you. Out in the lobby off to the left, we have a place we call Pastor's Point. I'll be hanging out there after the service. Uh, Welcome you to come by and introduce yourself. For those of you in Prescott Valley, uh, stop by Connection Central, and our pastors would love to connect with you as well. And want to welcome all of those who are joining in online from whenever and wherever you are. So glad that you are here. Today, we are in week two. So we're starting a series in the the book of Romans. So uh, last week, we cracked it open and started looking at the context. Today, we're actually going to get into the text. Uh, Before we dive in, let me remind you, we do have these little notebooks that go with our study, and so you should. We ran out of them at this service last week. There should be some in the chair, so grab those. Uh, We'll remind you that uh, notice several people today came in with the little three-ring binders. They do fit in an eight-and-a-half by five-and-a-half binder that you can buy off of Amazon. So if you, they are uh, hole punch for that. So you can grab those. If you didn't get one, look around. There should be someone, uh, some on some of the chairs around you today. Um, here's where we're going to begin. Uh, as we jump into the, the book of Romans, I was thinking about a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. And Timothy was serving at a church in Ephesus, and Paul wanted to give this young pastor some instructions on how to be a good pastor, and here was one of the things that he said. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Here at Quad City, I feel like we've done a pretty good job over the years of trying to get the preaching and teaching part right, but we've never really done the public reading of Scripture very well. And so one of the things that we're going to do, because uh, for those of you who missed out last week, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Romans. And so one of the things that I want to do is, is to put this text into practice. So I'm not a young pastor anymore. That ship has sailed. But I want to put all three of these pieces of of instruction into practice. And so what we're going to do over the course of this series is we're going to publicly read the entire book of Romans. So each week, we're going to grab our Bibles. Uh, The text is in your notebook. If you have that, you can grab that. Uh, But we're going to read the whole thing. 
over the course of this series. So each week we'll tackle a piece of the text. So today we're going to go uh, verses 1 through 7. And so each week I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand up, and then we're going to read our text for the day as we begin. So go ahead and stand up, grab your Bibles or grab your notebook, and we're going to read the first seven verses today. And here's how, here's how Romans begins. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we are grateful for your word, that we can have a place to gather with like-minded people, to hear it, not just from our voice, but from the voices of those around us as we speak these words over one another. And today, Lord, I pray that the promise of Isaiah 55 that says that when your word goes out, it will not return void, that it will produce what you have intended for it. And so that's what we ask for today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. So again, last week we kicked off this series and we set the context for the book of Romans. And today, we're going to dive into the text itself. Now, like most letters that were written in antiquity, the letter begins with the author identifying himself. So he begins with Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. So that was how he begins this letter. Um, but I want to talk about Paul for just a second today. I want to make sure that as we think about who Paul is, that we all understand who it is that we're talking about. Before Paul became the Apostle Paul, the first time we meet him is actually in Acts chapter 7. So he shows up in Acts chapter 7, but he's called by his Jewish name, which was Saul. So we first meet Saul, and what we're told about him is he's the one holding the coats of a bunch of people who are stoning a follower of Jesus named Stephen. So Stephen was the first martyr. He died for his faith at the hands of people who were stoning him while Saul was giving his consent. So that was the first introduction that we have to this guy. In other words, he was not a Christ follower. He had never met Jesus. He wasn't a fan of Jesus, was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, his stated mission was, I want to get rid of all of the followers of Jesus. He wanted to get rid of anybody who pledged allegiance to Christ. In fact, he was so adamant that he literally went from town to town to town looking for people who were followers of Jesus so that he could arrest them, persecute them, 
and put them in prison. And as we'll see in our text today, put them to death. This is Paul's own account of his mission in those early days. Paul, giving his own testimony, he says this. He says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way, and then look at these words, to their death. I persecuted the followers of the way, the followers of the way of Jesus, and I persecuted them to their death. That's what Paul was trying to accomplish. I was arresting both men and women. He didn't care, dragging women out of their houses and I, to throw them into prison as a as the high priest and the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He thought people who are followers of Jesus need to be punished, put into prison, and even put to death. That was Saul. And, and so as we open up the book of Romans and we read, we read, Paul is the one who is writing this, Saul, who is a servant of Christ. It's like, how did we get there? How did we get from a guy who is seeking to destroy all that Jesus is trying to build to kill people who are followers? How do we get from that to this? How do we, how do we get there? Now, this word servant here probably isn't a strong enough word at least it's not strong enough for me. Um, I think about a servant and I think about the guy who brings me hot rolls at Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> That's what I think of. Like they're, they're servants. They are servants of God bringing me the bread from heaven, right? That's what's happening in that moment. But that's not the picture you should get when you read that he says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Like, Those people who are bringing me those glorious roles, they are doing it because they want to. They have a choice. They can not show up if they they don't want to show up. This word servant is probably more akin to what we would think of when we say bond servant or even a slave. This is somebody who doesn't have a choice. This is somebody who is owned by someone else. In fact, the Apostle Paul would later write, I am not my own. I was bought with a price. That's slave language. He is owned by someone else. He is owned by Christ Jesus. He doesn't have a choice in what he's doing. His entire uh, agenda is determined by his master. So that's that's the way Paul introduces himself. And again, I just think about how did we go from someone who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, I'm gonna kill the followers of Jesus, to declaring himself, I am a slave of Jesus. He is my master. I belong to him. How did that happen? He continues in his introduction. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So he adds another layer. Not only is he a servant of Christ Jesus, he is also an apostle. Apostle means one sent. Like he has been, he is a sent slave. He has been given a mission by his master. He is a sent slave. He is an ambassador. An apostle is one who goes forth and speaks on behalf of the one who sent him. And he says, that's me. I am a sent 
slave of Jesus Christ. And I've been given a very specific task. I've been set apart for the gospel of God. That's the way he describes himself. Set apart for the gospel of God. So we have this servant who is sent. And again, I just asked the question, how did we get here? How did we get from a guy who's killing Christians, dragging them out of their homes, putting them in prison, to now saying, he's my master and I obey him? And he's gone from being the, uh, the greatest adversary of the Christian faith to becoming its greatest advocate. He is now an ambassador for Jesus. And again, how does this happen? You can go back and read it. It's in Acts chapter 9. I don't have time to get into it, but Jesus shows up in Acts chapter 9. Paul would later recount what Jesus said to him as, as Jesus met the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul, in his own words, tells us what happened. That Jesus came and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And I am sending you to them. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul says, Jesus showed up and he appointed me, commissioned me, assigned me to go and share the gospel of God to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles could receive forgiveness of sin and be given a place in the, in the family of God. Like that's, that's Paul's mission. I don't know if y'all hear it out there in internet land, but we have a flood warning and all the phones are going off right now. So Paul's mission is to go share the gospel with the Gentiles. Now, we need to, we need to pause for just a moment and talk about the gospel. Okay, if you're a church person, you've been around church world, you've heard the word gospel before. Even if you're not, you've probably heard that. But the word gospel always has spiritual connotations for us. It's always, you've never heard that word outside of someone talking about faith or church. But you just need to know that when Paul's writing this in the first century, the word gospel did not have any spiritual connotation. That was not, that was not, it was a political word, not a religious word in the first century. The Greek word, I don't do this a lot, but I feel like it's important today. The Greek word, when you read the word gospel in your Bible, it's this Greek word, euangelion. That's kind of a transliteration of these Greek letters, euangelion, okay? You can see if you took this U and put a V in it, it's where we get our word evangel or evangelistic or evangelism. Okay, it's the, it's the proclamation of good news. So that's what this word means. So the gospel simply means the proclamation, the sharing of good news. Now, again, if you've been around church world, you've probably heard that. That's not new. 
But what may be new for many of you is that the gospel of Jesus was not the first or only gospel. In fact, long before there was ever a gospel of Jesus Christ, there was a gospel of Augustus Caesar. You ever heard of the gospel of Augustus? So let me help paint the picture, okay? Early in Caesar Augustus' reign, Halley's Comet went right over Rome. And Caesar Augustus proclaimed that that comet was actually his grandfather, who then actually adopted him as his son, Caesar Augustus, I'm sorry, Julius Caesar. And he says, he's a god now. He is a god. That comet is the god, Julius Caesar, going into the heavens. And because that's my father, who is a god, that, by very definition, makes me the son of God. So Caesar Augustus began calling himself the son of God. And in fact, you coin collectors out there, you can go online today and you can buy Caesar Augustus coin. This says Caesar Augustus, son of God. That's what that says in the Greek. He wanted everybody to know that he was the son of God. And the reason that he was the son of God is because he, after Julius Caesar died, there was a civil war that broke out in the Roman Empire, and, and Caesar Augustus was the one who won the war, and he brought peace back to the Roman Empire. Today, you could go to London, England, and in the British Museum in London, England, you will find on display today this inscription, okay? This is an inscription. It's called the Perrine Inscription, P-R-I-E-N-E, P-R-I-E-N-E, Perrine Inscription. It's on display in London today, and this inscription dates back to 9 B.C., this is during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And, and in this inscription, we will see how it is that Caesar viewed himself. And so I want to take a moment and just read this for you. I can't do that. I don't know. But there are smart people who can. And here's what this inscription says. Okay, here's what it says. Because providence, providence being whatever they thought of as the ruler of all the gods, the one, fate, whoever's in control of all of the stuff, because providence, which regulates everything and sympathizes deeply with us, has brought about perfect order by bestowing on us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he may benefit all mankind. She sends him as a what? As a savior for us and for our posterity, for all who come after us, that he may end wars and may rule everything. Does this sound familiar to anybody? That whoever is in control of all of the stuff has sent us this ruler of everything sympathizes with us, loves us, and has brought about perfect order by sending us Augustus. Again, this ought to ring a bell with some of you today. 
He continues, the inscription continues, and because as Caesar, by his appearance, he surpassed our expectations, surpassing all previous benefactors. There has never been anybody like him. He has surpassed everyone who has come before him, depriving even posterity of any hope of exceeding his deeds. Not only is he better than anything that has ever come, he is better than anything that will ever be. And because the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the, here's our word, euangelion, the good news, the gospel to the world that came through him. This was the gospel of Augustus Caesar, that he has come and he was given to us and he's better than anything that has been. He's better than anything that ever will be. He, he is uh, there's no one who will ever be able to exceed his deeds. The whole inscription, if you read it, it was Caesar Augustus trying to reset the calendar that, that his birthday would become the mark of, of all time from this point forward. Sound familiar? That instead of it being B.C., i.e. before Christ, it would be before Caesar. He wanted to set the calendar by his birth because, because with his birthday, the God of Augustus, it was the beginning of the gospel, the good news to the world. And that good news to the world came through him. Again, this, if you've been in church world, this ought to sound vaguely familiar to you. This is the backdrop of the word gospel. So imagine yourself in the city of Rome. You are at the centerpiece, the very capital of the Roman Empire. You've been preached the gospel of Caesar your entire life. It is the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that came through this amazing Augustus. And now Paul writes this letter into this city of Rome and he says to them, no, 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 it is actually the gospel of God, and it's regarding his son. Actually, the gospel has nothing to do with Caesar, and it has everything to do with Jesus. Again, imagine you're hearing this, sitting in the shadows of the Capitol, where a new Caesar sits, and his name is Nero, and Nero himself believes himself to be divine. And Paul writes to this church, I am a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Not of Caesar, you've heard that one, but the gospel of God. The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And it's regarding his son, not about Caesar who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. It's all about Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's his Son. Throughout this letter, this is, this is the gospel, and it's all about Jesus. And he says, look, this gospel, it's not new, and it didn't happen by accident. It was premeditated. It was in, intentional. In fact, God promised this gospel long ago through his prophets and through his holy scriptures. 
Which is why we, in our Bible, we have not just one Testament, we have two. We don't just have a New Testament that tells us about Jesus. We have the Old Testament that tells us about Jesus. Like, it's all about Jesus. They're pointing us to Jesus. The prophets and the Holy Scriptures are helping us to see and recognize the gospel that comes through Jesus. Let me give you just a few examples of of where this happens. You might be thinking, that. well, where do the prophets say that? Where do the Holy Spirit, where are they pointing to Jesus? Here's a few. 700 years before Jesus showed up, Isaiah wrote these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Anybody remember? God with us. The Isaiah said, there's gonna be a virgin who gives birth to a son who will be known as the son of God, God with us, 700 years before. Micah, during that same time, says, not only is he gonna be born, but you, Bethlehem, Epapha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So not only is he gonna be born, I'll tell you where, it's gonna be from Bethlehem. But here's the cool part. He's, when he's born in Bethlehem, this is not the beginning of his life. He didn't start in Bethlehem. No, no, no. His origins are from old, from ancient times. Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. He is eternal, but he was born in Bethlehem. He continues, look at Jeremiah 23 says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So right here, Jeremiah connects the dots to what Paul told us, that of his earthly life, he was, he was from David. Jeremiah says, that's what's gonna happen. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king. His name is Jesus. And what will he do? What is his purpose? What is this Messiah gonna accomplish? Isaiah tells us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is what he came to do. He came to give us peace with God, and to do that, all of our iniquity was placed on him. He was pierced for our transgressions, which is a picture for us of how he would die. He was pierced. He was nailed to a cross. What's interesting about that is crucifixion wouldn't be invented for another 300 years. Jewish people didn't crucify people. Capital punishment in the Jewish culture was stoning, not crucifixion. But yet he's going to be pierced for our transgressions. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned our own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He took all of our sins collectively and put them on Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter and like a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is what happened on the day that Jesus died. But the good news is, not only was he born and promised in Bethlehem from a virgin and 
died on a cross. The good news is he did not just stay dead. The Old Testament tells us what was gonna happen. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor let your faithful one see decay. It's a picture that Jesus would die, but he would not stay dead. He was going to the realm of the dead, but he was coming back. He was gonna be resurrected. The faithful one would not see decay. His body would not rot in a tomb. And not only would he rise, come let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Again, this is what happened on the, on the cross. He was torn to pieces, but he, meaning God, will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. He's coming back. And on the third day, he is going to be with the Father again. Like this, this is what the prophets and the Holy Scriptures spoke of beforehand, long beforehand, to tell us this is the gospel. It wasn't accidental or coincidental. It was premeditated. It was purposeful. And God, um, Paul wants us to know that from the outset of this letter. These Jewish people who've had these scriptures, they've been waiting for this Messiah for hundreds of years. They've seen the signs. And Paul opens this letter by saying, and good news, he's here. The gospel of his son is now being declared. And here's even better news. The good, the even better news is this gospel of Jesus is not just for those who were looking for him. It's for everybody, which means he came for you too. Look at what he says. Through him, through Jesus, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. He says, look, Paul says, through the grace of Jesus, we've been given apostleship. We've been sent out to call all the Gentiles. You know who's included in all the Gentiles? You. Now, we do have a few Jewish folks who are part of our church who, are, who come from Jewish stock, but most of you are just downright dirty, unclean, pagan Gentiles like me. And what Paul's saying is, look, look, he didn't just come. He didn't just come for those who are waiting for him or those who were promised he was promised to. No, no, no. He sent me, Paul says, he sent me to share the gospel with you, to call all the Gentiles, all of you. I get to call all of you. And what does he get to call us to? Don't miss this to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. This is what you're called to. To obedience that comes from faith. This is a, this is a huge deal. Don't miss this today. We've been called to obedience that comes from faith. Do not get this twisted. We are not called to faith that comes from obedience. Some people try to get this mixed up. They think that they're gonna obey their way to faith. 
That's not how this works. You will never obey your way to faith. We are not called to faith that comes from obedience. We are called to obedience that comes from faith. One is the root, one is the fruit. The root is faith, and the fruit is obedience. We are called to obedience that comes from our faith, not faith that comes from our obedience. But these things go together. If you do not have the fruit of obedience, it tells you something is wrong with your root of faith. Because the root of faith will always produce the fruit of obedience. Always. Always. You can have obedience without faith. You cannot have faith without obedience. We are called to obedience that comes from faith. And I want you to know just how important this idea is. It's so important that this idea is, it is the bookends of the book of Romans. Like we find it right here in the very first paragraph of Paul's letter. And I want you to see that it's also in the very last paragraph of Paul's letter. Look at Romans chapter 16, very last paragraph in the book of Romans. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaimed about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now is revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, back to the same language, all the Gentiles might come to what? What's it say? To the obedience that comes from faith. The exact same phrase, it's how Paul starts his letter and it's how he ends his letter because this is his mission, is to call you Gentiles to an obedience that comes from your faith. Not a faith from obedience, but an obedience from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, amen. This is the last sentence of the book. And everything in between the first paragraph and the last paragraph is Paul trying to get us here to an obedience that comes from faith. And he's going to spell it out in what we call the gospel of Jesus. Let's head back to verse 6. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Like you also. He's writing to a church filled with people like you. And he goes, make sure you hear it. You, not the person beside you, not the people behind you. You also are called to belong to Jesus. I just want to make sure that somebody in here hears that today. Because you also, like again, you're looking around, you're thinking, yeah, it makes sense for her, it makes sense for them, but I can't, not for me. You don't know what I've done. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You also, you also are called to belong to Jesus. He ends his introduction this way. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, don't miss this. He's writing this to a church. 
to believers in a room just like you. And he says, here's what I want you to know. You're loved by God and you're called to be saints. People who are reflective of the love of God. And then he speaks this blessing over them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the introduction to the book of Romans. I want to take a, give you two quick takeaways for us in this gathering this morning. One of them comes from verse five and one of them comes from verse six. Let's start in verse six. He says, and you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Again, I just want to make sure that you hear your name in that. Here's the question. Here's the takeaway. Do you believe this? That you also, you also, he throws that word also. He's emphasizing you. No, 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 not them, not just those people. You, you are called to belong to Jesus. Do you believe that today? It's for you. You've been invited into this. Do you believe that today? If you don't, if you're struggling with that, if you've never come to a place of putting your faith in this, then that's why we're here. We want to help you with that. Our prayer team will be in the back of the room on your way out. Just stop by and let them help you take a step. So come by Pastor's Point. This is why we're here. We want to help you to believe this means you. Now, most of you in the room probably already believe this on some level. You've you've stepped across that initial line of faith. You believe that, which is why the second takeaway is for you. Here's the second one. It comes from verse 5. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. You've got the faith part. You believe it's for you. Here's the question for you today. Do you live like you believe it? Like as you look at your life, is there a fruit of obedience that comes from the faith that you say you have? Is it being produced in you? That's what you're called to, to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. Does your life look like someone who believes the good news of Jesus? And if somebody followed you around for 10 days, they would actually begin to see the fruit of obedience just by looking at your life, that it's actually changed you. That people can look at your life and say, they are a follower of Jesus. I can tell by the fruit. Their life looks different than everybody else's. There's an obedience that comes from their faith. So that's the takeaway. For those of you who have stepped across the line of faith, is there obedience that shows it? Do you live like it's true? This is the beginning of our study of the book of Romans. And I just want you to hear Paul from the very beginning saying there's grace available through Jesus and that's what I'm preaching to you. That's available to you. And when it comes into your heart, it will change how you live. And that's what we want to proclaim together today. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word And I pray that you would crack open our hearts, the hardened hearts for anybody who is rejected, who doesn't believe it it applies to them, that they've done too much, they've gone too far. Father, that you'd break those lies today, the chains of those lies, break them in the name of Jesus, that they can receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And for those of us who have received it, but our life isn't reflecting it, convict us today, bring us to a place of repentance because you're calling us to an obedience that comes from our faith. 
so that we can live a life that reflects the grace that we've received. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.